The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. On Friday, May 25th, 2015, 31-year-old former physics student and nonprofit used bookstore owner Ross Ulbricht, who led a double life under the online alias of the Dread Pirate Roberts, was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The initial charges against him included money laundering, computer hacking, conspiracy to traffic narcotics, even procuring murder. He was found guilty on seven counts, including trafficking fake IDs and a drug kingpin charge that in and of itself carried a mandatory 20-year prison sentence. The jury became convinced that Robert was the architect and administrator behind the Silk Road, an online marketplace for just about every vice you can think of. The Silk Road was constructed on the dark web, a portion of the internet unable to be found using traditional search engines and browsers, a place where you can use various cryptocurrencies to buy and sell just about anything imaginable, from heroin to guns to fake passports, counterfeit money, stolen credit cards, or even murder. Did Ross get the sense he deserved for creating a virtual flea market for felonies? Is Ross even the real person behind the persona Dread Pirate Roberts the FBI was chasing? What is the dark web? The deep web? What don't we know about a portion of the web 500 times larger than the one Google allows us to see? What horrors lurk in its shadows? And despite its vices, should we actually fight to keep the dark web anonymous? Find out on this occasionally disturbing and often eye-opening edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, suckheads. I'm Dan Cummins, and thanks for listening to Time Suck. Uh, today's Time Suck is brought to us by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon uses a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience to kick your underwear and men's clothing game to the next level, to the top level. They have antimicrobial, odor-eliminating technology, and performance-enhancing designs so your balls are totally and comfortably protected at all times. And equally important, the rest of you doesn't end up smelling like your balls. They also have a lot of other gear, including one of the most comfortable hoodies I've ever worn, and I love me a comfy hoodie. Uh, I wore my Mack Weldon hoodie all last week in San Francisco. That's a hoodie town if there ever was one. 75 degrees calm and sunny on one block, and then somehow 60 degrees cloudy and windy on the next. And I was comfortable everywhere I was the whole time. Snug, secure, smelled good. So go to MacWeldon.com and get comfy yourself. And get 20% off your purchase by using the promo code TIMESUCK. One word, no spaces. Time suck. That's right, 20% off everything you and your precious balls desire and deserve at MacWeldon.com. 
promo code TIMESUCK. Thanks to everyone who came to the Punchline last week. Man, fun shows. Such fun shows. Appreciate you time suckers checking out some of my live stand-up. Had a great time. Some of you uh, even showed up rocking that uh, 300% chinchilla labia. First generation OG Time Suck tea. And I loved it. Love seeing some Time Suck uh, teas uh, out in the crowd. That's been happening the last uh, month or so. And it, man, makes me feel good. Changes the whole show. It really does. Moment I hit the stage, I'm like, there's at least a few people here who fucking get it. Uh, that OG shirt, by the way, still in stock at the timesuck.com uh, store. And now, very excited, uh, second generation tea is here. Very excited how it turned out. Just in stock, a black Tribella blend, which is the politically correct term for 116% pure imported unicorn scrotum. Some of the softest material in the universe. Original artwork by Thrasher Magazine illustrator Chris Fairbanks. Uh, has a NASA ice, guard, uh, ice wall guard, flat earth. Some of those goddamn space lizards commanding us uh, to keep on sucking. Couldn't be happier with how it came out, man. Uh, Chris is an amazing artist. Check out a pic at the timesuck.com uh, shop or go to Timesuck social media sites. And I'll be putting up some of you suckheads uh, wearing the new tee uh, at Dan Cummins Comedy on Instagram as well. The faster you time suckers grab and enjoy that second generation tee, the faster the third generation tee, which is already designed, is going to be here as well. And then we'll get the stickers many of you have uh, also been asking about. And then after that, I think I'll just throw it out to you guys and see what you want next. Um, so thanks so much uh, also for uh, using that Amazon button, timesuckpodcast.com. Uh, thanks for throwing some bucks at the suck with that PayPal donate button. And uh, for all the new subscriptions and reviews on iTunes this past week, man, we're, we're getting very close to that JFK assassination conspiracy suck. Only about 25 reviews left to uh, hit 600 for that. Already prepping that one and uh, pumped about all the juicy shit I'm finding. And now before we uh, suck on the insane world of the dark web, uh, and it is crazy, let's suck on some quick Time Sucker Updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker Updates. Numerous Time Suckers. Uh, Ashley Biondo, uh, Fran Bowman, Alex Terry, David Martinez Moreno, Adam Niederhofer, and uh, uh, many others wrote in this past week to tell me that H.H. Holmes, 19th century Chicago serial killer and Time Suck episode subject uh, from episode 25, is currently having his body exhumed. That's right. Uh, on March 9th, the Delaware County Court granted permission for the uh, exhumation of uh, Holmes' body and uh, tasked the University of Phil- uh, Pennsylvania's anthropology department with performing DNA analysis. So uh, Holmes' great-grandchildren, John and Richard Mudgett and Cynthia Mudgett-Sereno, uh, remember that Holmes' birth name was uh, Herman Webster Mudgett. Fucking, that's such a terrible name. Uh, Petitioned the Delaware County Court to exhume the body last year. Court documents say that family rumors include stories that Holmes managed to escape his death and that someone else was hanged in his place. Not hung, hanged. See, I remember. On May 7th, 1896 in Philadelphia and then buried at the gravesite. Supposedly, Holmes then fled to South America where I imagine he kept fucking killing if that's what happened. So did the creator of the infamous murder castle in Chicago create the uh, or pull off the ultimate con and fake his own death, head south, Maybe set up a new murder castle in Buenos Aires or some other shit. We, well, we should know soon. The body has to be turned to the grave uh, within the next few months. So we'll get an answer one way or the other. Also, Time Sucker Will Loman brought it to my attention that you can also listen to Time Suck on the Podcast Addict app for Android users. Thank you, Will. One more way uh, for some of you to enjoy the suck. And uh, many of you pointed out that I incorrectly pronounced the King of the Hill character, uh, Boomhauer's name last week. Well, I, I fucking I didn't, okay? I said it wrong. But because I, I forgot what his name was, I guessed and I got it slightly wrong. So suck it. Uh, and since that was all that came in on the pronunciation front from uh, Jonestown, I felt fucking good about that. So yeah, buddy. Uh, finally, Ted Bundy update, subject of episode 11. Suckhead Mike Fisher wrote in saying, 
As a current law student at George Washington University Law, I have always found the judge's final words to Ted Bundy to be incredibly fascinating and a bit shocking. As you know, Bundy represented himself during his murder trial. Upon his sentencing to death, the judge stated, It is ordered that you be put to death by a current of electricity. That current may be passed through your body until you are dead. Take care of yourself, young man. I say that to you sincerely. Take care of yourself, please. It is an utter tragedy for this court to see such a total waste of humanity as I've experienced in this courtroom. You're a bright young man. You'd have made a good lawyer, and I would have loved to have you practice in front of me, but you went another way, partner. Take care of yourself. I don't feel any animosity toward you. I want you to know that. Once again, take care of yourself. I always thought those words were both haunting and more damning than a lot of things a judge could have said. Is that what this uh, this, uh, time sucker uh, Mike is saying? Um, yeah, he says, uh, I feel like they really highlighted, uh, the waste represented in the Bundy case, not only of the many lives he cruelly took, but his own potential that he could use for good instead of evil. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, I found those words very interesting as well. Um, yeah, for H.H. Holmes, really that could have applied to him as well. You know, what a waste of potential for, for Bundy and, and also, uh, today's topic, you know, possibly, uh, applicable. Uh, we're talking about another bright young man, Ross Ulbricht and the extremely, extremely promising life, um, Depending on how you look at it, he either threw away or, or, or was taken from him. All right, let's get out of these updates. Next time, suckers. I needed that. We all did. All right, so what did Ross Ulbricht do? He supposedly created the now infamous Silk Road. The uh, original Silk Road was an ancient network of trade routes that were for centuries central to cultural interaction through regions of the Asian continent connecting the east and west and stretching from the Korean peninsula in Japan to the Mediterranean. It was opened by the Chinese Han Dynasty in 130 BC before the Common Era and lasted until 1453 CE. Uh, Ross Ulbricht Silk Road was opened in February of 2011 and was the first modern marketplace opened on the dark web. Uh, it was an online marketplace where anyone could sell or purchase anything anonymously. If you're like me, you might be wondering, how would it even uh, be possible to truly anonymously buy or sell illegal goods on the web? How do they not just trace the goods to the seller's or the buyer's IP address? An IP address being a unique string of numbers separated by periods that identifies each computer using the internet protocol to communicate over a network. Think of it kind of like your laptop's fingerprint. Uh, Well, they can do this because uh, the dark net provides a virtual glove that you can kind of slip on over your computer's uh, hand and hide those fingerprints and and surf and shop completely and untraceably, uh, completely anonymously. Confused? Yeah, I was too. Let's take a few minutes to define the dark web. All right, the dark web often gets confused with the deep web. The deep web is the collection of all sites on the web that aren't reachable by a search engine. That's sites that the creators, uh, they're sites that the creators want you to see. And that's what Google finds. And then there's everything else, and that's the deep web. Basically, the deep web covers uh, anything and everything that exists somewhere on a server that you can't access through Google or any other uh, typical, you know, traditional browser. And many estimate the deep web is 500 times bigger than the web that we can see. Kind of like to use an iceberg as an analogy, uh, the sites you can access with Google are the tip of the iceberg. And the sites you can't access, those unindexed sites on the deep web, are the giant mass of ice below the water surface. Now, a lot of this web uh, info uh, below the water surface, uh, so to speak, isn't really nefarious at all. Uh, A lot of boring shit on the deep web. You know, like online banking data, uh, various government databases, patents, trademark info, internal network uh, message boards for various corporations and universities to communicate uh, within, uh, industrial control boards, etc. Just shit that nobody wants you as a random person noodling around, uh, you know, with for obvious reasons. 
Uh, there's a great documentary called The Deep Web that explains it all very web. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime for free if, if you do use that. Uh, it's directed and produced by Alex Winter. Uh, you can also just watch Alex's uh, corresponding TED Talk on The Deep Web uh, on YouTube. Uh, if you don't want to spend you know, an hour and a half, you would rather spend 15 minutes. Uh, random trivia, uh, Alex played Bill in 1989's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and The Deep Web is narrated by Keanu Reeves, who played Ted. Uh, and I found uh, it hilarious to be watching the guy who used to say, just, how's it going, dudes? And whoa, now giving a brilliant intellectual TED Talk and putting together an incredibly informative, thought-provoking, and impeccably produced documentary with his old, excellent, you know, yelling Bill and Ted, buddy. Uh, those two grew up well. So that's the Deep Web. A huge collection of largely mundane, unindexed, and unsearchable business data and other data. Uh, but then within the deep web, there's the dark web. Now, going back to the iceberg analogy, think of the dark web as like a little tiny cluster of uh, black stones, maybe hidden deep inside a crack at the very bottom of that big old iceberg. The dark web accounts for less than 0.01% of the total content of the web. Uh, security research, uh, researcher Nick uh, Subrilovic, uh, Subrilovic counted less than 10,000 hidden services in a recent crawl of the dark web uh, compared with hundreds of millions of regular websites that Google can access, and you can just imagine how much, how much more in the deep web. Uh, and the dark web isn't nearly as uh, uh, mundane or boring as the rest of the deep web. In addition to my uh, own research, I had the dark web explained to me by one of our very own time suckers, a suckhead named Daniel. Uh, I don't want to give his last name in case I don't want to give him trouble with his job, but uh, uh, potentially. But he, he, he heard the teaser for today's uh, episode at the end of last week's Jim Jones Suck, reached out to help me with the dark web because he works in the field of cybersecurity. And Daniel compares the dark web to a fully loaded Craigslist. He says, uh, if you look at the right half of the page, you can find jobs, cars, new surfboards, homes, uh, more fun, regular stuff like that. But if you look to the left, you can find prostitutes, hitmen, stolen accounts, drugs, various forms of uh, illegality. Daniel writes that these goods are all traded in alternative forms of currency, which I'll explain in a bit. Uh, Alice Winter talks about the dark web being reminiscent of the early days of the regular web in the late 80s. When you could kind of join in private chat rooms with people from all over the world, you know, very rudimentary kind of graphics, you know, it was well before the big JavaScript and, and uh, uh, all, the, all the fancy Flash, you know, videos and all that shit. Uh, you know, you could just exchange ideas and information with people. It was all about just, you know, communicating. And, and how do you find all this content on the Wild West Craigslist? Uh, by using a dark web browser called Tor. That's T-O-R, and Tor is the acronym for the Onion Router. And, uh, and Tor is an open source software program that allows users to protect their privacy and security against a common form of internet surveillance uh, known as traffic analysis. It's the dark web's equivalent of Google. Uh, it was uh, Tor. Is, it was actually initially developed by the U.S. Navy uh, in an effort to protect online government communications from foreign surveillance. And then it was released for public use in 2002. And Tor doesn't leave a traceable data trail as you search the dark web sites. Somewhat, it's somewhat uh, complicated how it does that. But in simple terms, instead of your computer, computer making a direct link to the server of the website you're accessing and leaving a direct trail that shows your IP address linked to the site that you're viewing, Tor accesses sites in a roundabout way using virtual tunnels. For example, let's say I want to access a site ran by Nimrod, lord and ruler of all things in the universe, and I go to nimrod.com to find out how many Cocker Spaniels, uh, Spaniels I have to kill that day to prove my allegiance to the one true god Nimrod, the giant space Sasquatch the size of a galaxy with the head of a chupacabra who rides a black unicorn with flaming suns for eyes. Well, now there's a direct trail going from my laptop to Nimrod's heavenly perfect server. 
Well, Tor doesn't take me straight to Nimrod. First, my search heads over to my neighbor's Chuck's computer, uh, maybe bounces from there to Ling and Beijing's computer, uh, maybe then to the uh, Reverend Dr. Johnson Williams in Lagos, maybe then to Tom's Cruise's uh, fucking iPad in Clearwater, Florida, and uh, from there to a whole bunch of other computers, and then to sweet old Nimrod. Now, there's additional encryption that, uh, involved that makes it even more secure, but essentially, that's the idea. The trail becomes so convoluted, bounces around uh, to and fro to uh, so many different private computers, all other Tor users, by the way, that traffic monitoring software can't figure out where it originated, and thus your search remains anonymous. And to make dark, uh, things on the dark web even more private, uh, there are additional encrypted search engines built to use it, as spelled out by TimeSucker cybersecurity expert Daniel, to access a lot of sites on the dark web. It's not as simple as going on Google or going to an obvious address like Facebook.com. Most of these black sites are just under a domain uh, with .onion on the end. So they may look like, you know, just like 45BZS23-IFY78BHHH plus 3.onion. Now, that's very difficult to remember. So the vast majority of people will use uh, searches or sniffers, they're called, to find these sites. Uh, DuckDuckGo is a common one. Uh, DuckDuckGo is a search engine that works with Tor within Tor's search engine. I think there's also DuckDuckGo on the regular site, so those are you know two separate uh, ones there. Uh, a second layer of searching, and DuckDuckGo keeps your search results completely anonymous. Despite all the secrecy, the FBI does find various illegal sites on Tor every day and is able to shut them down uh, from time to time. Um, but while they uh, can find the address, they generally can't find the physical source of the address. They can't find the actual server. So the illegal marketplace they shut down on one address usually just pops up under a new address. Um, finally, adding a, a yet another level of secrecy to the dark web and transactions that occur there is the use of Bitcoin. I know many of you have written in about Bitcoin uh, over the last few months. Bitcoin is a digital currency created in 2009. Bitcoin offers the promise of lower transaction fees than traditional online payment mechanisms and is operated by a decentralized authority, unlike government-issued currencies. According to Investopedia, today's market cap for all Bitcoin, abbreviated BTC, uh, in circulation exceeds $7 billion. So in layman's terms, there's a shitload of Bitcoin. Uh, but there are no physical Bitcoins. It's a digital-only currency, right? There's only balances kept on a public ledger in the cloud that, along with all Bitcoin transactions, is verified by a massive amount of computing power. Uh, Bitcoins are not at, uh, issued or backed by any banks or governments. They are created in a process referred to as mining, uh, which gets way too economically uh, complex to explain here without bogging down this whole episode and turn it into some kind of fucking 101 class in economic theory. But let's just say it's not, it's, uh, it's not anarchic. You know, there is a creation system that keeps the value of Bitcoins fairly steady and keeps it from, you know, extremely volatile fluctuations. Otherwise, no one would use it, you know, Bitcoins. Uh, but they're the same essentially as any other kind of non-commodity non -commodity backed currency like the euro or the US dollar. Uh, but Bitcoin has actually, you know, more value in a way because uh, it's, you know, it's anonymous, stable, and it's non-taxable. Uh, they're also coded, uh, Bitcoins are, so that you can't copy a Bitcoin and spend it twice. So it's, you know, a fairly protected currency. Currently, a single Bitcoin trades for approximately 1740 bucks. Now, there's also other virtual currencies collectively uh, referred to as altcoins, but Bitcoin's the main one. And uh, the balances are kept using public and private keys, which are long strings of numbers and letters. Uh, linked through mathematical encryption algorithms uh, that, that were used to create them. The public key, uh, comparable to a bank account number, serves as the address which is published to the world and to which others may send bitcoins. The private key, comparable to an ATM pin, is meant to be a guarded secret and only used to authorize bitcoin transmissions. And then the price of Bitcoin is, is, is determined by supply and demand. When demand for Bitcoins increases, the price increases. When it falls, it falls. You know, 
Um, there is only a limited number of Bitcoins in circulation. New Bitcoins are created at a predictable and decreasing rate. That's how they keep the uh, the price, you know, inflation and stuff stable. And and while you can um, buy things using Bitcoins online and be paid in Bitcoins, I was wondering, I'm like, okay, this is all fucking great, but I can't, I can't go to fucking Safeway, you know, and get me a, get me a vitamin water uh, with the fucking Bitcoin, which, you know, based on the value I said earlier would be, would I, they'd need to give me a lot of change. Like if I bought a $1.50 drink for $1,800, whatever it was. But, uh, but I was wondering, like, well, how do you use it? Like, what good is it for regular life? Uh, if you can't convert it, well, you can convert it. Of course, you know, you can. Uh, Bitcoins wouldn't be so popular if you couldn't do that. There's a variety of ways to convert Bitcoins to cash. Places like uh, Bitcoin-Brokers.org. Uh, take your Bitcoins. They'll send you cash via uh, a service like MoneyGram. So it's all very, like, private. It's, again, it's all very secretive. All off the books, all off the grid, so to speak. Essentially, it's very libertarian. It's a very libertarian form of currency. Uh, you know, if you choose not to report it, it remains anonymous and thus untaxable, which, of course, when used in that way, also makes it illegal as a form of unreported income. All right, so let's recap. A lot, of, lot of, a lot of info. A lot of info I'm hitting you with. There's a normal web where you can use an Internet Explorer or Google Chrome or Yahoo or Safari or Netscape if you have a time machine uh, or a number of other browsers to search a multitude of websites that have been indexed by those browsers so those browsers can, in fact, locate shit. And then we have the deep web with 500 times the amount of data as the web we can see with billions of pages of unindexed, mostly mundane, database-type data. Right, and then finally, within this deep web, we have the teeny tiny corner of the web, teeny tiny creepy corner, uh, where the fucking spiders and pedophiles live, among um, many other things, called the dark web. It's not just that. Uh, most of which can be accessed only with Tor, the onion router. Now, there are a few other Tor derivatives that really aren't worth getting into. Uh, they can also act as anonymous browsers, you know, to smaller kind of parallel spaces, or parallel little dark webs, basically. But in general, Tor is the key that unlocks the dark web. All right, it's the fucking thing Gollum's chasing. Uh, and, and in this dark web, there are various chat rooms, alternative social media networks, marketplaces, and a few other websites. Uh, what you're not going to find is like, you know, fucking ESPN, something. It's, 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 it's not the normal, normal web. It's very subversive looking. Okay, so who's using the dark web? Well, for one, criminals, for sure. All this untraceable activity and untraceable currency is, of course, going to lead to crime. More on that in a second. But also government agencies that don't want their communication traced or recorded can also use the dark web. Remember, Tor was created by the military. All right, uh, journalists also use the dark web. They can talk to sources, you know, anonymously. For example, uh, in countries where the government can and does monitor traditional web activity, you know, if you're a political dissident in Syria or China or North Korea, uh, you know, Tor can be extremely useful in posting pictures of what is actually going on in your country. You don't want to be throwing shit up on Facebook and be like, "Hey, look what the fucking government did," and then you know your Facebook <laughs> page shut down. Or your profile picture is replaced by you with a bullet through your head. Um, you know, it's, it can be going uh, back and forth in a chat room with some journalists. You know, it can't be traced to your computer. Privacy advocates all use the dark web. Uh, people who just don't think the government needs to be privy to everything they do on the web. Uh, people who don't want their shopping preferences, for example, handed over to companies without their fucking express, you know, uh, uh, permission. And then see pop-up ads for whatever they fucking bought last week show up in banners on every other website they visit for the next month. Uh, plenty of people use the dark web for totally legal reasons. However, you know, you create an environment built on secrecy, built on shadows. And again, of course, you're going to attract a variety of nefarious characters who don't want to be watched because they don't want to go to jail. So uh, I told Daniel, my time sucker guide, my cybersecurity guide for this episode, that I wanted to check out the dark web for myself. I felt like I needed to for this episode, and this is what he told me. He said, when using any of the dark web browsers, be careful and protect yourself to the fullest extent. It is always best if you have someone who is handy with technology around 
but if you do not trust a link, do not click it. Some links will be filled with viruses, some malware, some with worms, some with uh, hijack software, and some will skim information and offload your computer's information to someone else's server for dissection. Fucking, that sounds terrible. Uh, also, do not use websites like Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram uh, on your regular browser while having Tor open or related browsers because it can get you in a world of trouble if they catch you. To the inexperienced user, the dark web can be a very scary place. Well, I did go to the dark web, and in about an hour of snooping, uh, this is what I found. I, I tracked it all down as I was doing it. I, I did it this past Friday night, May 12th. Uh, well, I guess Friday afternoon. What am I talking before my shows? It wasn't Friday night. Friday afternoon, 4.46 p.m., uh, Pacific uh, Daylight Time, I download uh, the Tor browser from uh, torproject.org onto my MacBook Pro nervously. I'd already set all my security settings on my uh, system preferences to high. I closed down all other applications uh, except for pages, which I use to uh, you know document what I'm doing, and then Tor. Uh, 451, I open Tor. Sets off security warnings immediately, and I dismiss them, which again uh, makes me pretty damn nervous. Uh, 452, I choose to connect to the Tor browser, and within seconds, I'm in. I have my iPhone so I can safely kind of browse the normal web from there uh, to figure out where I should go within Tor. Uh, I type Silk Road into the Tor search bar. I find it, but you have to uh, register to enter. And fuck that shit. Uh, not going to do that. So 458, I go to deep.web.com and uh, and the and on my iPhone and trying to find addresses for Tor marketplaces. I get the URL for the outlaw market. Type in the onion URL, uh, URL for that, that big code, and find it. And a CAPTCHA uh, comes up with a warning. If the URL in the CAPTCHA is not exactly the same URL you see in your browser as a page URL, you are on a phishing site. Manually copy the URL from the CAPTCHA, add that onion uh, to it, and use the URL. Well, my CAPTCHA is the same, so you know I feel somewhat secure. Uh, I enter the site at very rudimentary. I'm reminded of what Daniel said earlier about the Craigslist you know, thing. That is, that is what it reminds me of. Uh, like some old website from the early 90s. Uh, this is no WordPress site, no Java-enabled shit, no Adobe Flash. Uh, simple text, simple pictures. I scroll down, and there's a crude list of shops, what they offer, and how much their products go for. I'm afraid I'm going to scroll down and see a picture of some eight-year-old's wiener, and then minutes later, FBI agents are going to be pounding on my hotel door. Just uh, looking at kitty porn, huh, buddy? No, uh, no, 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 you don't understand. No, I, I am doing research for my, for my podcast. <laughs> research, huh? Is that what you call it? Make yourself better, you sick fuck. No, it's, it's time suck. I just, little boy wieners for time suck, huh, creep? You're going to be sucking some, some soon enough. You're going to be sucking some cellmate dick in prison, you son of a bitch. Well, thankfully, none of that happens. Thankfully, that does not happen anywhere outside of my head. Uh, the pictures I come across are pictures of illegal drugs, uh, which, according to my research, are not illegal to look at, just illegal to buy, uh, if there's any government uh, agents listening. <laughs> That's my understanding. Uh, and, uh, and if it is illegal to look at those pictures, I didn't do it. Um, those pictures of Marketplace logos, uh, you know, some of their products, and then sale amounts for those products listed in either U.S. dollars, euros, British pounds, etc. guessing they convert it to bitcoins when you try to buy something. Uh, I'm not going to try to buy anything and find out. Uh-uh. Not going to be able to uh, explain off a gram of Coke uh, showing up my mailbox as research. But here's what I do see. I see several weed shops like McCronk uh, where you can get 1.1 grams of outdoor strawberry kush for 10 British pounds. Uh, there's Co- Coke Boy. That was one of my favorite stores I came across. Coke Boy. Uh, we can buy cocaine, obviously. Uh, one gram for 45 euros. Coke Boy, man. What a silly name for such a serious drug. It makes it seem just so harmless. Uh, you know, how could anyone ever overdose when all they did was order a little bit of Coke and Coke Boy? I picture a constantly happy, mild-mannered kind of boy, maybe like almost like a Leave it to Beaver 50s, you know, like 20-something showing up at your door with a neatly packaged little bag of Coke. 
Just, hiya, Mr. Cummins. Uh, I got your Coke here, just like you asked for. Well, thank you very much, Coke boy. No problemo, Mr. Cummins. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you have a swell old time. What kind of Coke do you have for me today, Coke boy? Oh, pure uncut Colombian Coke, Mr. Cummins, just like always. Well, ain't that grand, Coke boy. You be sure and tell your mother hello for me, would you? I sure will, Mr. Cummins. Have a great day. You too, Coke boy. Don't forget your tip. You know I can't accept that, Mr. Cummins. Uh, your friendly face and repeat business is all the tip I need. <laughs> oh, Coke boy. What a great kid. Uh, there's Click and Buy, uh, where you can get LSD, uh, 200 UGL high-quality stamps for 22.5 euros. That really seems cheap. That's a lot of acid for less than 25 bucks at today's conversion rate. Uh, you can get Speed. Who's still buying Speed? Uh, you can get, quote, Strong Speed. One gram of Strong Speed for 10 euros from your dealer's shop. I love that it's called Strong Speed. As if they didn't add the strong adjective, uh, you'd assume that you're getting some weak speed. Just, oh, man. How about the wrong kind of speed again? I got a fucking slow speed. This only makes me a little tiny bit twitchy. I was hoping to fucking tweak the fuck out. Uh, you can get blotter acid, 3X Monster LSD blotter for 40.5 euros from value.lucid. Uh, you can buy software to hack cell phones from Professor Dark for a buck. I got to say, that seems like a steal. If hacking cell phones is your deal, I'm thinking you're not going to beat Professor Dark's prices. Uh, I mean, for a super shifty dude, Professor Dark seems like he genuinely cares about his customers. So, you know, go to Professor Dark for the very best in online thievery. I keep wondering if these places would just take your money and then not give you anything. Uh, but I guess, you know, they have rating, they have a rating system similar to Yelp, I guess, to try and keep people uh, honest in that way. Uh, I guess if they ripped off people, you know, the ratings would plummet and no one would shop from anymore. Negative ratings from people who feel uh, ripped off uh, from a company that sells a product that's built on ripping people off. I love the fucking irony with that. Just, what the fuck? I, listen, I didn't pay a buck. For phone hacking software to not be able to hack people's cell phones and gain access to their credit card and bank info and not be able to steal shit from them. I cannot believe I got ripped off paying good money to rip somebody off. You can buy Viagra from Dutch uh, Supply Shop for 100 milligram pills for 7 euros. Uh, you can also get ketamine, MDMA, coke, amnesia, haze, marijuana from uh, MDMA. And that's all I found on that marketplace. marketplace. Uh, coke, LSD, MDMA, weed, Viagra, you know this. And then if so 514, uh, 514 p.m., I go to Hansa Market by putting in this onion rowdy router. It asks for a username and password. So I use my social security number for my username, and uh, I use my bank name, uh, username, and bank account password for my password. Yeah, right. Uh, I make some shit up. Uh, it works, and I'm able to log in. Uh, when I get in there, there's a Craigslist type list of categories on the left, just like Time Sucker Cyber Expert Daniel has described again. Uh, there's this list of fucking options. This is way more comprehensive on this one. There's um, drugs, fraud related, uh, guides and tutorial services, jewelry, uh, digital goods, erotica, counterfeits, electronics, security and hosting. I click on drugs. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to shit all over the outlaw market, but uh, I gotta say. Hansa is crushing them. If Hansa is the Amazon of illegal marketplaces, then the outlaw market is the fucking Radio Shack. Sorry, outlaw market. There are uh, 6,235 cannabis sellers, 23 alcohol and tobacco sellers, 523 opioids, 409 steroids, thir uh, 1,342 psychedelics, 1,563 prescription, 2,780 stimulants, 2,781 ecstasy, 68 weight loss. I love that. I love that one thrown in there. Uh, 952 benzos, 37 other, uh, 325 disassociatives, 90 paraphernalia, and 20 lab supply sellers. Just under the drug. Holy shit. 
uh, I can't believe this stuff is real. Uh, 521, I click other and again become terrified that it's going to be videos of just like naked 11-year-olds wearing git masks or some equally horrific shit uh, and the FBI is going to kick my fucking hotel door in. Uh, thankfully, that does not happen. Uh, under other, Adderall and Percocet show up first, as do a lot of other non-drugs, uh, just random shit, like a lifetime premium Spotify account you could supposedly buy for a buck seventy-five. That seems sketchy to me. Lifetime? How can you predict future code changes to Spotify? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll stick to Professor Dark for my online theft needs. Thank you very much. Um, there's also a bunch of shit I've never heard of, uh, like diazepam and Actavis uh, diodrocodine. Uh, turns out diazepam is a form of Valium uh, used to help your anxiety. Anxiety that probably is fucking spiking because you're buying it illegally uh, <laughs> off the dark web. And uh, Activis uh, excuse me, is a pain reliever used to treat pain from sciatica and other kind of bone and nerve pain. So they've got everything. 526, I click opioids. Uh, heroin comes up immediately. You can buy a gram of China White for 66 bucks. I don't know shit about heroin, but that feels reasonable to me. Uh, time sucker Jordan Kasuzik, who's been uh, helping with fact checking and grammar correcting uh, my episodes, tells me it goes for sixty bucks to hundred bucks in the street, which makes me worry about my association with Jordan. Not sure how he knows that. Uh, I feel like if I told a heroin user I just scored a gram of China White, you know, and they'd be like, "How much do you pay for it?" And I was like, "66 bucks." They'd be like, "Well, get the fuck out of here." Dirty Johnny just charged me ninety last week. Well, that's why I don't buy my China White from Dirty Johnny. Okay, uh, five twenty nine. I click disassociatives. Ketamine crystals come up. So does GHB. You can get 25 grams of GHB for 32 bucks. Uh, GHB, by the way, the date rape drug. That's terrifying. I don't know how uh, much you need uh, to like, you know, knock somebody out, but I feel like you could do an awful lot of raping for $32. Uh, Jesus. Uh, ketamine uh, has also been used as a date rape drug. It can leave you unable to move, make you sort of have an out-of-body disassociative experience. Sounds fairly dangerous. Now, 530, 5.30, uh, I click. I fucking wonder if I should, <laughs> uh, but I do. I click erotica, and the FBI immediately kicks my motherfucking door in. Uh, curiosity killed the cat, and now curiosity is going to get me in prison. Uh, it's going to get a p- prison penis stuck up my butt. That's, that's, the, that's the lesser known curiosity phrase. There's two phrases. It's curiosity killed the cat is the one you probably heard. And there's also curiosity gets a prison penis stuck up your, your bunghole. Um, I'd seen enough, but I know I'd seen enough of drugs. Basically you can get any kind of drug you, you can think of. It's all there. And I just wonder like what kind of erotica could they have with this marketplace that they don't have on Google? Uh, turns out in this, uh, on this marketplace, it's not a new kind of porn. It's just theft of porn, which I guess, I guess that makes sense. Uh, you can get like a Brazzers unlimited account for a buck 67. Uh, you can buy a premium account to just any porn site, uh, basically at all on the web for a few bucks. Uh, for example, you can gain access to big dick bitch, uh, com. Yep, you can get a lifetime account for $5.67. That's a very specific price. And it does seem reasonable. I mean, that's that's like that's like some professor dark pricing shit right there. All the big dick bitch porn you can handle for the rest of your life for the price of a venti frappuccino. Um 535, I click on services, IDs and passports, hacking, malware, cash out services, other shit pops up on submenus. Uh, you can get a fake driver's license for any state. And a fake passport to any country. Fucking unreal. Uh, I click other from within uh, services. Uh, you can get a Netflix account for buck sixty-seven. Very reasonable. Uh, you can also get stuff like Starbucks gift cards for a few bucks. That's hilarious to me. Can you imagine getting caught and getting sentenced to years in prison for buying discount Netflix uh, subscriptions and fake Starbucks gift cards? That's that's when you kill yourself in prison and no one questions it. Why why did he kill himself? Oh, because he got uh, because he got sent to ten years in prison for buying five thousand dollars worth of fake Starbucks gift cards. 
Oh, yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, 539, I click electronics. You can get an Apple iPhone 7 in theory for $5.68. That's fucking bullshit. There's no, there's no way they're giving you a phone for less than six bucks. I must be missing something. Uh, 540, click counterfeits. You can get $300 in fake US $20 bills for 120 real dollars. That still seems kind of expensive to me. Uh, Euro notes, British bills, whatever you want. There's also counterfeit items like uh, replica Chanel purses. You can get uh, fake bills uh, for tax purposes, like like a fake fucking uh, utility bill. That's genius. Write-off shit you never actually paid for. You can buy access to people's PayPal accounts, try to take their money, buy uh, stolen credit card numbers, etc. Just so much theft. Uh, 544, I type in crazy dark websites on my iPhone to see where else I should, I should look. No tour sites come up. Uh, I Google crazy tour sites and a subreddit comes up with a bunch of addresses. The poster says, I promise no CP, which I assume means and hope means child porn. And I hope he's not bullshitting. Still nervous, uh, about, uh, about all of this. So that I, but I enter one, you know, again, the curiosity gets the penis, prison penis stuck up your butt. Uh, I, I enter the first one into my tour search bar and I arrive at a crazy Illuminati third eye. Uh, with a bunch of legs attached to the image, and ha- it has an enter button, and uh, and I click it because I'm an idiot. Uh, I click it because curiosity has completely taken over my mind at this point. Now I'm just making reckless decisions, as if there's no potential backlash, and uh, and I and I just all for a few minutes of hopefully interesting podcast content. So now I'm in a place called Changolia, uh, with the subtitle "Most of the Rest of the Wild West," uh, and it's just a big series of links, no description at all of what these links are. I am sure my cybersecurity uh, expert buddy, uh, uh, Daniel, would be like, get the fuck out of there. But he's not there telling me that, so I just start clicking shit. Uh, I I enter a bunch of random chat rooms, people discussing everything from politics to trucks, or I guess maybe message board is more accurate than chat room, but just posting uh, posting pics of everything from anime images to sunsets. After clicking a few, I decide I don't need to see anything else, though. After clicking a few, it's, it's all kind of just like weird, boring stuff, and I'm like, thank God. You know, I haven't done anything accidentally illegal that I know of so far, and so I, I should quit while I'm ahead, and I do. Uh, I think I understand. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't find anything even crazy, but no, no, no I'm not going to – I wasn't going to do that. Uh, I understand what Tor is enough now uh, to kind of, you know, be able to read about what others have found and have that make sense to me and hopefully to you. So I exit out. I throw Tor in the trash, erase it from my Mac, um, and if I if I knew how to use it properly, I might keep it. Uh, but since I don't, I figured it'll just get me in trouble and I ditch it. So uh, Tor Exploratory over. Okay, so that's what I found. A lot of drugs, a lot of theft, uh, counterfeiting, and, and I decided to tap out again because I know there's much worse out there on the dark web. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, who I talked to about doing research for the dark web this week, she sent me a May 10th article from a local paper, a Spokesman Review in Spokane, Washington. Um, check this out. This, this is why I was nervous about coming, to, uh, about coming across some crazy shit and why certain people are, are pushing for either the abolishment or the regulation of the dark web. Uh, the article I read talks about a recent raid in and, uh, Mablacat, Philippines, a small city of just over 200,000 in the northern part of that country. On April 20th, a small team of the Philippine National Bureau of Investigation, the NBI, uh, some of their officers raid the home of David Timothy Deacon, a 53-year-old former roofing contractor from Peoria, Illinois, suspecting him of child pornography crimes. They knock down his door, find him shirtless on his bed with his laptop open. I wonder if... <laughs> wonder how if there was weird stats in that, like when you fucking kick a pedophile's door down. How often are they just like shirtless on a bed? Uh, they, they find him shirtless on a bed with his laptop open, uh, and he has a Google search. What is the MBI? Because he had he'd been watching the officers approach on the security cameras above his front door. 
They also find children's underwear, fucking motherfucker, toddler shoes, cameras, uh, bondage cuffs, fetish ropes, meth pipes, stacks of hard drives and photo albums cluttered in the stuffy two-bedroom townhouse, penciled on the wall. Someone had scrawled, my mom and dad love me and had a broken heart. And, uh, and they put a bullet in his fucking nutsack right there. Uh, no, that's what I wish they would have done. And just, uh, just fucking poked him with hot needles until he bled out and died. Uh, but they didn't do that because they're police officers. They got to follow uh, regulations. In his computer, they found videos and images of young boys and girls engaged in sex acts. Uh, Deacon's arrest on April 20th uh, reveals one of the darkest corners of the internet uh, where pedophiles in the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Australia pay facilitators on the other side of the world, people like this Deacon motherfucker to sexually abuse children, even babies, sometimes directing their moves through online live streaming services. That's why I wish someone could come up with some technology. I don't really, because they could kill innocent people with this too, but in my fantasy brain, I wish there was like a technology that you could just like push a button on your computer and make all the people directing things like that have their computers just kill them, just to like explode in their faces and just either maim horribly and or kill them. Oh my God, I fucking, uh, pedophiles are the worst of the worst. Uh, the, the relatively new crime of, <clears throat> excuse me, webcam sex tourism is spreading rapidly. Uh, with new digital technology sparking with the United Nations calls an alarming growth of new forms of child sex, sexual exploitation online. The FBI says it's an epidemic and that at any given moment, 750,000 child predators are online. 750,000. Holy shit. Uh, and I wish I could lead an execution squad to kill as many of those people as I could. Fucking child molesters, man. Lowest low. I remember studying that stuff back when I was uh, in school. And the recidivism rate, rates, you know, the, the rate at which people are going to reoffend is just off the charts with pedophiles. Because they, they haven't, no one's ever figured out how to um, cure it. You know, best case scenario, scenario is you can make them hopefully monitor them heavily enough to have them not act on it. But basically, from what I understand, unless new research has come up that I don't know about and haven't been able to find, uh, when you start becoming sexually attracted to kids, you know, you start diddling yourself or jerking off with the thought of kids, uh, that's it for you. That's, that's, uh, you can't rewire that. You are sexually attracted to them forever. And, uh, and there's no kind of turning back. And, and, and so you're just kind of hoping to monitor them and have them not act on the impulses they can't control. Uh, the only way I have thought that you could cure that, again, is a, a bullet or sledgehammer or just some other kind of blow to the brain that, uh, that obliterates it. So until we figure that out, uh, when these people are like Timothy Deacon are arrested, I, if someone in power could – I would like to perform a Gallagher-type dark comedy act where instead of smashing watermelons – I smash pedophiles' heads uh, in front of other people that hate pedophiles. Motherfuckers. Okay, so in addition to child pornography, the dark web is also being used by human traffickers. The United Nations uh, recently uh, estimated human trafficking profit is $150 billion a year. Uh, fuck, man. A January 31st, 2017 report by the Polaris Project noted human trafficking hotline cases jumped by 35 percent just over a third in 2016 uh, Polaris also reported that most uh, survivors of human trafficking were recruited recruited uh, for sex trafficking and labor trafficking and the dark web has a lot to do with this increase you know illicit forms discussing sex trafficking and services are hidden in the dark web for sure uh, because sites are not indexed it is very difficult for law enforcement to identify the illegal behavior hidden within the dark web and it gets even worse on the dark web I know this is already so dark. Um, uh, there are rumors of dark web chat rooms, uh, where people share videos of real people like, uh, uh, just being, you know, tortured to death, like, uh, like a small, uh, kind of like a YouTube uh, channel for people who are just pure evil. There's crush porn sites 
where scantily clad uh, women literally crush small animals to death. Uh, who was jerking off to that? My God. If you look, I don't like to advocate suicide. However, if you are jerking off to a video of a woman in a bikini uh, crushing like a rabbit or a puppy, fuck, seriously, kill yourself. <laughs> like, no, no joke. Just, just get it over with. You are a dark, twisted fuck, and there's no hope for you. Uh, possibly most disturbing are our dark web red rooms. <laughs> uh, live streams of people being tortured, killed, raped, etc. in front of a virtual audience who pay to decide what happens to them. It's like the movie Hostel. Oh, that's the most, like one of the most disturbing, disturbing uh, movies I ever watched, by the way. I can, I can handle a lot of like horror movies, but when people are being um, – tortured like like uh restrained and tortured i just uh it's, it's like a rape scene to me in a movie i cannot uh it just makes me sick to my stomach like i really i don't i don't want to watch it i hated that movie uh, <laughs> um i can't find any articles that report a conclusive bust on one of those red rooms uh, which consider some to be uh or considered by some to be an urban legend but an australian 53 year old father of two ah man this guy named peter scully was arrested in 2016 he ran a hurt core hurt core pedophile site on the dark web where videos were made available for pedophiles to watch of young children being tortured, possibly even killed live on camera. The body of an 11 year old girl was found in this motherfucker's house. He'd run it in the Philippines again, man, these fucking guys hide in the Philippines. Uh, one video investigators found was called Daisy's destruction, a video of a baby girl being tied upside down by her feet, sexually assaulted and beaten by Scully and a masked woman. And again, and again, if I could, if if I could please somehow, if some country would allow me recruit me and somehow extradite them, and I'll do a dark comedic show, uh, smashing their heads in front of the audience. I am not. I am not even joking. It's not like I want to. I. It's not like I truly just want to kill somebody. I don't. I would rather not probably have that experience in life. You know, I'm sure there would be some nightmares and repercussions for that. However, if given the opportunity to kill those guys after you know, like what I've just read, absolutely. Absolutely would. Um, so this this is the kind of shit that exists on the dark web. Uh, however, the dark web wasn't created for these purposes. And I'm going to get into that. It wasn't created for the purpose of fucking evil acts. But it absolutely has created an environment for evil people to get away with committing these acts. So should we get rid of it? You know, Should we just get rid of the whole dark web? Well, maybe not. It's time now to get back to Ross Ulbricht, a.k.a. the de- dread pirate Roberts. His trial and why keeping the dark web around could possibly still be worth fighting for. I mean, do you think anyone really wants to live, despite all the horrors I've just described, do you think anyone really wants to live in a world where anonymity isn't an option at all, where the government can watch literally everything you do? In 2008, uh, Ross Ulbricht was a 24-year-old grad student working towards a master's degree in material science and engineering at Penn State. He was studying crystallography, uh, the science that examines crystals. Uh, he was an extremely bright young man who had scored a 1460 on his SAT, gotten a scholarship to go to the University of Texas, where he got a physics degree. Uh, he was an Eagle Scout, well-liked by his peers, handsome dude from a close, well-adjusted family. Uh, he's got the world in the palm of his hand, uh, but he's also disillusioned with the world around him. He's unhappy with the drudgery of lab research. He, he's got a lot of first-world white people problems. And while at Penn State, uh, he'd become fascinated with both psychedelics and economic theory, an interesting combination that would uh, fuel his desire for the Silk Road. He'd come to see taxation and government as a form of coercion uh, enforced by the state's monopoly on violence. He was, uh, his thinking was heavily influenced by Austrian uh, economist uh, Ludwig von Mises, 
a totem of the uh, modern American libertarian orthodoxy. According to von Mises, a citizen must have economic freedom to be politically or morally free, and Ross wanted to be that kind of free. After Penn State, he moved back to Austin, Texas, and if you've ever been to Austin, you know it is the perfect place for someone who's uh, into both experimental drugs and experimental political ideas. It's a city boiling over with both intellectual curiosity and drug use. It's a big college town uh, where no one leaves after they graduate, you know? Uh, Ross tries his hand at day trading, doesn't go well, but he is introduced to the cryptocurrency Bitcoin while he's doing that, which again will serve him well later. Uh, he starts a video game company, doesn't go well, but he begins to learn about computer coding, another piece of the Silk Road puzzle, opens a small business with an Austin neighbor, a business they call Good Wagon Books, that collects used books and sells them in digital stores like Amazon and Books A Million. Uh, Ross builds the business website. And so he understands how to create a marketplace, yet another part of his growing skill set that would enable him to create the Silk Road. Uh, he's also in love. He moved back to Austin with the girl he fell for at Penn State. But then they break up in 2010, and now Ross is doing a lot of soul searching. You know, He's at a crossroads in his life. He wrote in his journal, I went through a lot over the year in my personal relationships. I had left my promising career as a scientist to be an investment advisor and entrepreneur and came up empty-handed. He pours himself into good wagon books, but it doesn't make that much money and it doesn't fulfill him. He's still thinking a lot about economic theory. On his LinkedIn page, he writes that he wants to use economic theory as a means to abolish the use of coercion and aggression amongst mankind. And then he comes up with the idea of the Silk Road. The idea, he wrote in his journal, was to create a website where people could buy anything anonymously with no trail whatsoever that could lead back to them. Like most libertarians, Ross believed that drug use was a personal choice, that it shouldn't be supervised or monitored by a government. He observed that the war on drugs was a complete failure. He starts to question if it was ever designed to reduce the usage of drugs in the first place. Uh, he decides that the natural merchandise for his new enterprise should be drugs. I was calling it underground brokers, Ross wrote, but eventually settled on Silk Road. Shortly after writing this to the journal, his book business quite literally uh, falls apart. I think this is kind of hilarious. Uh, he built a warehouse to store uh, all of his good wagon used books, uh, all the inventory, and he built the shelves of this warehouse himself. And apparently he forgot to install literally two very important screws in this system. And one day the entire warehouse shelving system came crashing down like a giant game of dominoes. One giant uh, shelf stack slamming into the next and the next and the next uh, until tens of thousands of books had spilled all over the uh, floor of the warehouse, no longer you know categorized, <laughs> fucking indexed. And with his heart no longer in the business uh, and his books all over the floor, uh, he just says, fuck it. He liquid liquidates his inventory, closes his business, uh, tells his old neighbor and biz book business partner he has a new idea, something really big, he says. And then in mid-January 2011, the Silk Road goes live. Initially, Ross only sells his own product, uh, some magic mushrooms he'd grown himself. In a very short time, uh, he sells 10 pounds of psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, soon more vendors join his marketplace. The Silk Road's fucking growing, man. He writes in his journal, I am creating a year of prosperity and power beyond what I have ever experienced before. Silk Road is going to become a phenomenon, and at least one person will tell me about it unknowing that I was its creator. I feel like he may have been high on shrooms when he wrote that. Very uh, grandiose vision. But he'd be right, you know? He'd be right, so maybe he was sober. Uh, Silk Road does become a phenomenon, and within a year, the FBI has taken notice of a new drug site that's been modeled on Amazon and eBay. And that's what it looked like. Uh, and again, kind of like, you know, Craigslist. Uh, excuse me. A well-organized community marketplace complete with profiles, listings, and transaction reviews. Everything was anonymous, and shipments often went through the regular old postal service. No need for fake names. You know, you put in your real address, and if anyone asks, you just say, I, I don't know how that heroin got here. <laughs> I didn't order it. And they can't actually trace the transaction to you. 
Uh, Silk Road Seller's Guide uh, had helpful instructions on how to vacuum seal or otherwise hide drugs to evade electronic sensors and canine olfactories. Most shipments made it to happy customers. Uh, the small percentage of intercepted Silk Road packages represented an uptick, uh, spoke to the quickly rising volume of the site's trade, a vast pharmacopoeia covering dozens of categories with 13,000 listings. It was a colorful smorgasbord uh, for every type of connoisseur. You know, kind of like what I talked about before, the same kind of marketplace, you know, that I went in. You know, cocaine, Colombian cocaine, Afghan, number four heroin, strawberry, LSD, car- caramello hash, you know, uh, blah, blah, on and on and on and on and on. Uh, some serious drug connoisseur shit. Um, there were prescription meds, everything from Oxycontin to Xanax uh, to fentanyl to uh, Dilladid. Uh, Silk Road's product descriptions and other you know, user ratings amounted to a, an encyclopedic information source. You know, Can't feel my face. Uh, one user said one product has a nice shine and provides a rush of euphoria and confidence. Uh, Ivory's review of some crystal MDM, uh, MDMA observed that it had a nice fizz and a wisp of smoke. Smiley face. <laughs> the reviews and community standards enforced uh, excellent value. Customer service on Silk Road uh, you know, was, was good, brought more users, increased its reputation, and until it became the premier destination for digital drug sales. And then by January 2012, the Department of Homeland Security had also taken notice, and a Silk Road task force of 40 agents had been assembled. Operation Marco Polo was launched. And one of the people on the task force uh, was a former hacker or hacktivist, a member of the computer hacker collective Anonymous. And this man, the agent who brought him in, had recently launched another operation, one to take on the dark web browser Tor and break through its anonymous usage, Operation Onion Peeler. Fucking good names these guys came up with. Uh, soon the IRS is also looking for this into the Silk Road, and so is the DEA. Well, meanwhile, Ross is staying one step ahead of all these agencies by teaching himself computer coding and continually further encrypting his site. And by 2012, He's making good money off the Bitcoin transaction fees from sales through his dark web marketplace, about 25 grand a month. Tells his friends and family he's making his money through a Bitcoin exchange business he started, which I guess is kind of technically true. Uh, it's also worth noting this time that Silk Road has a strict code of ethics, uh, no child porn, no stolen goods, no fake degrees. Our basic rules are to treat others as you would wish to be treated and don't do anything to hurt or scam someone else. That's what it says. Also in February 2012, uh, Ross who had been working as the administrator of this site, administrator of this site, uh, felt like he needed to have a more vocal role in the new community he'd formed. He needed to kind of announce himself to his community, be their leader. And that February, he uh, announced himself as the Dread Pirate Roberts. Now, if you're a fan of the 1987 uh, Rob Reiner comedy, The Princess Bride, like I am, you know that Carrie Elways, the male lead, plays the character known as the Dread Pirate Roberts. It's where the name comes from. Uh, the dude who famously says, as you wish. He's falling down the hill. And if you know the movie, you know it's an interesting choice. Uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts is a pirate of near mythical reputation. The film feared across the seven seas for his ruthlessness and sword fighting prowess, uh, known for taking no prisoners. But more importantly, and I think the reason Ross picked this persona, uh, is revealed during the course of the story that the Dread Pirate Roberts is not one man, but a series of men who pass the name and reputation to a chosen successor once they are wealthy enough to retire. When the time comes, Roberts and his chosen successor sail into the port and discharge the crew. They hire a new crew. The ex-Roberts staying aboard as his first mate and referring to his successor as Captain Roberts. Once the crew grows accustomed to the new Roberts, the previous captain leaves to enjoy his retirement. Perfect for the Silk Road. Perfect for a man dedicated to anonymity. The Dread Pirate Roberts is not a man, but an image of a man that can be taken on by any number of other men. Or women. Or women. Uh, and, th- and, and, though, uh, uh, and through the Dread Pirate Roberts uh, posts, one can see that Ross becomes more steadfast and brazen in his, in his libertarian political beliefs. 
starts posting stuff like, stop funding the state with your tax dollars. Direct your productive energies into the black market. Uh, DPR continues to become more grandiose over time, writing that every transaction on the Silk Road is a step towards universal freedom. Well, you know, this strong anti-government stance isn't taken well, not surprisingly, by the uh, U.S. government, in addition to all the agencies I previously mentioned who are trying to take down the Silk Road. Uh, U.S. Senate uh, becomes involved, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer denouncing it in a press conference. Uh, under, undercover FBI agents are now posing as drug entrepreneurs on the Silk Road. Some are able to, uh, to get Ross's attention and build his trust. And then in late 2012, Ross moves to San Francisco. His friends and family still have no idea he's the Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, n- n- neither does his like, best friend. Nobody knows. Uh, still think he's running some kind of Bitcoin business, which in a way, again, he absolutely does. And his marketplace continues to grow. And the Dread Pirate Roberts begins to achieve cult leader status within this community of tens of thousands now. He's like the Steve Jobs of the dark web. He's declared by users to be among the greatest men and women in history. But this growth would backfire because Ross couldn't keep growing his business alone. He needed employees now. And in late 2012, he approaches some of his Silk Road uh, user contacts. One of these users is Curtis Clark Green, a 47-year-old married Mormon father of two and grandfather living near Salt Lake City, Utah, who after becoming addicted earlier in life to painkillers after a car accident and herniate, where he herniated several discs, had now become an expert in pharmaceuticals and opioids. And now he was the DPR's moderator for drug sale disputes, working out of his home up to 80 hours a week. And to prove his loyalty to DPR, Ross demands uh, that Green send him a scan of his driver's license so the Dread Pirate Roberts would know his identity while the Dread Pirate Roberts remained anonymous. And Green does this. And then, uh-oh, uh, Green gets busted. Uh, the FBI didn't even know who they busted at first, you know? They thought it was just one of Silk Road's many customers when they caught him getting drugs shipped to his home. But then Green panicked immediately when they fucking went in his house and he just started blabbing everything. They didn't even ask questions. He's just fucking giving everything up. He wants to make a plea deal, right? And the FBI searches his computer. They find correspondences uh, he's had with the Dread Pirate Roberts. And now they know they have uh, much more than a customer. They got a major Silk Road player. And then the Dread Pirate Roberts uh, notices that his new employee isn't fucking doing his job for a couple days. Also notices uh, that 350,000 US dollars worth of Bitcoins uh, has been seized and, uh, and initially, he doesn't know the government sees those funds. Then he does find out. And then the uh, uh, DPR, uh, ironically, turns to another Silk Road user he'd grown to trust, a Silk Road user who's actually an FBI undercover agent who's now in charge of Green's bust, an agent who went by the online name of Force. And Force had let the Dread Pirate Roberts know previously that he had worked as an enforcer. Force the enforcer. And then DPR asked this FBI agent to do some enforcing on behalf of him. He wants Green beat up. Wants his bitcoins taken back, right? And DPR sends a uh, uh, force uh, a picture of Green's driver's license that he had, you know, had uh, sent to him earlier. So then Force gets Green to uh, co- cooperate with the FBI for a staged beating. Uh, they recorded phony, phony thugs dunking Green in a hotel bathroom, threatening to drown him. Sent the video to the Dread Pirate Roberts, and uh, while he's waiting for this video, though, a separate Silk Road user, uh, you know, thinks that a beating isn't enough. Right? He shouldn't just be beat for stealing $350,000 and you know getting caught by the feds or whatever and ratting. He says, if this is the Wild West, uh, and it, and it kind of is, you'd get hung you know, you'd, for, for stealing a horse. That's what the Dread Pirate Roberts said. That's a quote. See, even even he doesn't know how to say fucking hung. You'd get hanged. <laughs> if you had time suckers fucking watching you remove, you'd know that, Dread Pirate Roberts. Okay. And then the Dread Pirate Roberts reaches back out to force. Okay, so you, so you can change the order to execute rather than torture. He was on the inside for a while, uh, and now that he's been arrested, I'm afraid he'll give up info. And then the Dread Pirate Roberts negotiates a price to have Green killed. 
Force conspires with his team to stage Green's death, sends the Dread Pirate Roberts photos of Green's fake corpse, and then the Dread Pirate Roberts, uh, he's, he's wired 40000 to Force's account as an advance, and then another 40000 once he thinks the job is done. So I guess he, uh, you know, the Dread Pirate Roberts, I guess Ross is rethinking his original code of ethics now. Uh, maybe rationalize Green's fake death as a small sacrifice needed for the greater good of his overall economic revolution. And like so many political idealists before him, Ross accepts that he has to kill for his ideals, and he becomes a murderer. Theoretical murderer, because uh, Green's actually not dead. Uh, uh, Dread Pirate Roberts confides to another Silk Road user, uh, Inigo at this time, that one of his deepest fears was being wildly successful and being corrupted by that power. So he's aware that he's undergoing some of these changes. Uh, now, while this is all happening, the Silk Road continues to grow. Uh, despite uh, allegedly procuring murder, he was never actually charged or convicted formally with this, but it did go kind of on his court case. The FBI isn't anything closer to catching Ross. By June 2013, uh, the site is just growing and growing and growing. It's reaching a million registered accounts, and the feds are still nowhere in sight. And then in early July of 2013, one of the task forces uh, hunting Ross gets a fucking huge break, uh, the break that eventually lead to, to Ross's arrest and kind of be controversial in his court case later. Uh, an IP address pops up on one of their computer screens. It was actually uh, an undercover IRS agent, uh, IRS cyber agent, 62.75.246.20, the IP address of the Silk Road server. A cyber agent task force flies to the location of the server giant server warehouse in Reykjavik, Iceland, called the Thor Data Center. Uh, how'd they find it when Tor and the Dark Web are supposedly uh, completely uh, anonymous, right? It's virtually impossible, right? Well, a chance discovery on a Reddit thread after months and months of searching for online clues is what led them there. A user posted a warning that Silk Road's IP address was, quote, leaking, a tech term meaning it was becoming visible to other computers. Uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts uh, had been alerted to this problem by the user but ignored the warning, didn't fix whatever code encryption error was causing it. Silk Road's success was making him arrogant. He let his guard down, uh, confidently telling colleagues you know, uh, on post uh, message boards around the site that he would never be found. And then cyber agents using advanced hacking techniques and a lot of manpower find that leak and eventually trace it to its source, Iceland. Well, Icelandic authorities, uh, they find the correct Silk Road data box inside Thor God, I love that name for a server warehouse, man. Fucking Norse God Thor's protecting all data. And, uh, and discovers that there's a mirror drive, a, a duplicate set of contents for it. They pull the mirror drive uh, uh, or server, return the, the server box, return it to Reykjavik, uh, hand it to the FBI agents. And just like that, an FBI agent is holding Silk Road's data in his hand. Well, the site's illicit business volume is even bigger than the agents suspected. On July 21st, 2013, Around the time they land in Iceland, DPR's account had received 3,237 transfers totaling almost $20,000, uh, which would give DPR an annualized income of more than $7 bucks. He's making some good money on this right now. Uh, the data center also kept system logs for six months. They could see all the other computers who had recently communicated with this machine. It was an investigative windfall. Well, using their new contents, the agents are able to get a subpoena and locate the IP address of the last known computer to access the Icelandic server, and it led them to Cafe Luna, Sacramento Street, uh, Street San Francisco. Actually, roughly a mile from where I'm doing research right now after last night's show, Punchline, in the Embarcadero District. So that's fucking cool. Um, short time later, uh, Homeland Security agents showed up at Ross Ulbricht's front door. Uh, he's living with roommates who knew him as Joshua Terry, a quiet kid from Texas. Uh, but they still didn't have uh, quite enough to arrest him. All they had was a package of fake IDs that had been sent to uh, his apartment from the Silk Road, but they couldn't prove that he ordered them. They thought he was the Dread Pirate Roberts, but they weren't yet completely sure, so they waited and they watched. Now, how did they finally get here? 
right? Because running the business, the side of the Silk Road, the size of the Silk Road had become uh, impractical for Ross to do without a team of capable employees. There were technical problems, management issues, a quickly changing marketplace, volatility uh, of Bitcoin, you know, like any other currency. There are scammers on the site, and as Silk Road made more money, the cost to maintain it also rose. Hackers had figured out how to launch denial of service attacks on Silk Road. Uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts was forced to pay protection money to the tune of $50,000 a week to some other hackers. In May 2013, hackers shut down the site for a week. Uh, many users wondered if it was the work of a competitor. Atlantis, a new tour-based illicit goods bazaar, had just launched with a slick YouTube trailer and a group chat with reporters in which a spokesperson named Heisenberg offered the serious burn uh, that Atlantis was the Facebook to Silk Road's MySpace. MySpace, man. Can't believe that network still exists. Who, who is honestly still using my, MySpace? Any time suckers checking your MySpace inbox every morning, just you know, rearranging your top friends? Uh, Ross was struggling with maintaining his new empire. And on a basic human level, he was struggling with his new life, man. He was super fucking lonely. Uh, I have no one to share my thoughts with. DPR posted to the wider Silk Road community at one point. Security does not permit it. Uh, DPR self-taught programming was catching up with him as well. You know, uh, he's leaving holes in Tor's invisibility cloak. Uh, his morality is shifting. He's begun procuring some more murders. He's tired of those fucking hackers, you know. Uh, making him pay $50,000 a week. So he haggles with some Hells Angels members over the price of killing some of these scammers that are blackmailing him. He eventually settles on $150,000 per murder. Uh, his new social and economic experiment against violence and oppression was fairly the same. And I guess he, you know, he did you know, try to pay people, but supposedly no one was actually killed, again, like before. Uh, the FBI agents made another break in the, uh, in the case then. Um, uh, the name Frosty came up associated with the Icelandic server, and when agents cross-referenced that name and all the Silk Road data they've been collecting over the past few years, they realized that the Silk Road servers had a login system that created one trusted computer for all the other machines, whose encryption keys all ended with Frosty at Frosty. This meant that these computers shared one key friend, a single machine they could all talk to. One of those nodes must be Frosty, and whoever sat at that keyboard was Bojangles, one dog. One eye, three legs, and the entirety of the dark web cowering beneath him, awaiting each new command he types with his one remaining front paw. More coke, more heroin, more squeaky toys. No, of course not. They knew that whoever sat at that single computer would be the Dread Pirate Roberts. But still, because of Tor's level of encryption, they didn't know exactly where that computer was. And then the FBI cyber agents met with some IRS agents who've been working separately on the Silk Road case. You know, and, and again, of course the IRS is working on it. They don't exactly love it when someone tries to create a new economic system that in- excludes taxation. You know, They saw on a chart that the FBI's server clues had led them to San Francisco, and then one of the IRS agents remarked, oh, that's funny. I had lead in San Francisco. I'll look it up. Turns out that months earlier, this IRS agent had figured out that uh, whoever had started Silk Road had tried to d- drum up interest on regular websites with like-minded audiences during that initial launch phase. Uh, he'd searched for Tor URLs around the time of the site's first appearance and found a mention uh, in shroomery.org in one of their forums on January 27, 2011, days after the Silk Road launch. A user named Altoid talked up this exciting new service that claims to allow you to buy and sell anything online anonymously. Googling elsewhere for the username Altoid revealed a question uh, about database programming posted on Stack Overflow dated March 6, 2013, saying, how do I connect a Tor hidden service using curl and PHP? Some code questions. The email listed was rossulbricht at gmail.com. Uh-oh, a minute later, that user changed the alias to Frosty. How fucking crazy is that? One post that Ross edited a minute later on some random site one slip up, one little digital clue, little digital needle, and these motherfuckers found it. 
Uh, at the time, the IRS didn't know what that meant, so that's where it ended. But then the info, you know, sat in the file until dumb luck put that IRS uh, agent in contact with his, the right FBI agent, whose wall uh, was a map where all roads led to Frosty. Then the FBI ran the name Ross Ulbricht through its federal database, database and found that Homeland Security agents had stopped to visit him uh, recently regarding a package of fake IDs. Agents who did suspect him of being the Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, a quick search for his last known address showed that he had lived half a block from Cafe Luna. The San Francisco note on that chart, remember from the Thor server, the site where an administrator had logged into the Silk Road VPN, uh, the virtual privacy network, uh, uh, and um, a quick tour through Ross's social media presence reveals a digital portrait with an incredible likeness to Dread Pirate Roberts. His LinkedIn profile was full of the same libertarian re uh, rhetoric or libertarian uh, on, on YouTube. He'd favorited videos from the Mises Institute, the political touchstone beloved by Dread Pirate Roberts. So they put in a request to have a surveillance team send two agents to San Francisco to get some eyes on Ross. They watch him in a house he shares uh, with some, some other people working late on an encrypted wireless network. Sometimes he'd head out with his laptop like practically everyone else in San Francisco. He'd you know, sit at a cafe with coffee at his side working on it. They used physical surveillance to see if they could line up Ross's internet usage with DPR's activity on the Silk Road and the activity matched perfectly. All right, Every time Ross turns on his computer, DPR logs onto the Silk Road. When he closes it, DPR logs out. Over a few weeks, the pattern was incredibly consistent. Of course it was. Right at his house and cafes in the morning or late evening, Ross and DPR were electronically aligned perfectly. So all this evidence led to bust him, but with cases revolving around encrypted data, they still didn't want to rush in. If they kicked in Ross's door, all he'd have to do, this is crazy to me, all he'd have to do is shut his laptop, and then without the password uh, to open it, they wouldn't be able to gather the conclusive hard evidence to prove conclusively for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he was the Dread Pirate Roberts. So a large team of agents ends up following Ross, uh, you know, after uh, figuring out his habits, they follow him to a library where they knew he would log in as the Dread Pirate Roberts. And then two agents, this is fucking quite a uh, scene they set up here, two agents pretend to be a deranged homeless couple fighting right next to Ross. They argue loudly, you know, and then the man acts like he's going to hit the woman, and it was enough to get Ross to step up real quick. Uh, leave his laptop open and, and intervene. And when he does this, another agent that was sitting behind, behind him pretending to be some just you know, young lady uh, doing some research herself grabs his still open laptop, rips it away, and then yet another agent grabs, slams Ross down, and handcuffs him. Then the rest of the team arrives, SWAT team members, black suburban, sirens blaring. And then other agents working on online, uh, meanwhile, seize all the Silk Roid's bitcoins and replace the marketplace with a welcome page that reads, this hidden site has been seized by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And just like that, Ross's libertarian experiment is over. He'd later be denied bail, and like I said up top, he's sentenced to life in prison. His lawyers still hope for an appeal. It hasn't happened yet. And uh, it looks like uh, the chance that this cyber Walter White, a normal dude, who slowly morphed into a drug kingpin of sorts, uh, of ever becoming a free man is slim to none. Now, despite the details of the rise and fall of Ross Ulbricht, uh, I just laid out his case is very controversial. For one thing, the feds, while initially indicting Ross with procurement for murder charges, uh, never actually charged him uh, with those charges, but it was accused of it in court. Uh, they called their murder-for-hire charges an uncharged crime. So the jury got to hear uh, about that they think he did this, but they didn't have to offer proof that he did it. So that's very strange. His defense attorney described it as an attempt by the prosecution to poison the atmosphere of the trial. They wanted to present to the jury a person who has no redeeming value. That way the jury doesn't focus on the actual allegations, but focuses instead on the atmosphere that Ross is a ruthless criminal. And as far as anyone knows, uh, none of his requests for murder never actually resulted in anyone being murdered. So technically, 
Technically, he was a nonviolent criminal. So why is a nonviolent criminal getting sentenced to life without the possibility of parole? Uh, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, people convicted of homicide are sentenced on average to just over 12 years in prison. And they serve on average just under six years. Now, I'm not saying that right. You know, just under six years for definitely killing someone, uh, according to the April 1995 study I found. I uh, wish I could find something more recent, but I wasn't able to find anything reputable. But it seems, it seems it does crazy that he's given life with no possibility for parole when he didn't kill anybody. And also, investigative journalists uh, interviewed in Alex uh, Winter's Deep Web documentary and uh, Ross's parents. They're bothered by not knowing how that Iceland server was actually uh, found. Like, why were, Ro- were Ross's Fourth Amendment rights violated? You know, the Fourth Amendment prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. Sets out requirements for search warrants based on probable cause as determined by a neutral judge or magistrate. Did they actually go through that channel to find that initial server that led them to the search warrants they would later get for everything else? You know, was the government's online snooping legal? Uh, I watched a lot of interviews with lawyers who think maybe not. You know, should they be allowed to look around your server without a warrant? You know, they can't do that to your home. You know, they can't come in, uh, in your house and just, you know, look for whatever they want. Why should they be able to snoop around online wherever they want? We're setting legal precedents right now in cases like Ross's for how the Fourth Amendment is going to be applied going forward into the digital age, right? Another question is, was Ross the only Dread Pirate Roberts? That's a big point the documentary brings up. Interviews with others involved uh, with the Silk Road revealed that there may have been three or four different Silk Road administrators using the Dread Pirate Roberts persona. So which crimes did Ross commit and which crimes did other Dread Pirate Roberts commit? Did the prosecution truly know? Was the jury manipulated? Now, I don't know about that one because I, I feel like if the sting operation, if they're being honest and his his uh, physical behavior matches logins, mm, I don't think so. Dread Pirate Roberts would come up later. You know, when it, when it popped up after he was taken, uh, taken away to prison. But I, I think they did get their guy. And, uh, and then there's, you know, another big debate is, is having the dark web and the Silk Road around really such a bad idea? Yes, horrors go on there. I've already described those child porn, torture, murder for hire, lots and lots of drugs. But all of those things were already going on before the invention of the dark web. The dark web didn't create those crimes. Has the dark web actually increased how much child porn is being produced? I don't know. You know, and, and what if file sharing sites, as encrypted as they may be, uh, actually make it easier for law enforcement to bust child pornography rings through infiltrating their chat rooms and tracking them down? Do we want to push these people into a place even more secretive than the dark web? And as far as the drug trade grows, goes, isn't the Silk Road a far, far less violent option than street-level drug dealers? No one's getting beat up or stabbed or killed in a drug deal gone bad on the Silk Road or on some other online marketplace. Gangs aren't fighting for drug turf, you know, uh, they're, you know they're fighting for it on, on the streets. Neil Franklin, director of the group Law Enforcement Against Prohibition and a former Baltimore police officer, had some interesting thoughts on that. He talks about a mother, father, and five kids years ago who were killed by a drug dealer one night and how since then uh, he thinks of the drug war in terms of violence. He argues that policies towards drug prohibition are counterproductive to public safety. He says, if Baltimore moved from street dealers to online services, do you know how many fewer shootings we would have every year? And as someone who loves the TV show The Wire – I think there's apparently there's a lot of shootings in Baltimore uh, and have been. So it probably would be a lot safer. Now, Neil claims that the war on drugs just isn't working. Uh, he just say, stating that gangs and cartels make over $300 billion annually off the sale of drugs. But now corporate America is also in on the game as well. He states that one private prison corporation, Corrections Corporation of America, gave $675 million in one year in the form of dividends to shareholders. Why are taxpayers giving corporations hundreds of millions of dollars for them to uh, you know house criminals and, and then also they get to make massive corporate uh, profits housing nonviolent offenders. 
A lot of money is also being spent on law enforcement to fight a war it can't win. Hundreds of millions of dollars in military equipment, armored cars, military weapons, etc. You know, and, and now I'm not saying that the drugs themselves don't come with their own set of problems, overdoses, crippling addictions, destruction of the family unit, etc. But can we actually stop it? Truly, can we stop, you know, uh, drugs? No, I don't think so. And if we can, why not provide a much safer and cost-effective means to acquire it? You know, just like we can't win the drug, uh, the drug war on the streets, we also can't win the drug war on the net. You know, hackers are always going to figure out how to stay one step ahead of the feds. The Silk Road got taken down. Well, you know, immediately it comes back up. And a hundred other dark web marketplaces spring up in its place. I, you know, you, I described the ones I found, not knowing shit about how this stuff. Why are we wasting so much money on fighting what's inevitable? Some moralists act as if, you know, once you legalize drugs, society's going to collapse. And that's not true. I've been in the red light district in Amsterdam several times. Prostitution is legal. Most drugs, if not totally legal, are just overlooked. I never felt unsafe. You know, my entire youth, people were up in arms about marijuana. Millions of people were sent to prison over marijuana. Still are. People died in gang-related and shootouts related to weed. Still do. You know, but you couldn't make it legal because it was going to open up the floodgates to so many other drugs. Well, in Washington, Washington State, just across the border from my house, it's legal now. Is Spokane suddenly a fucking den of drug crime? No. You know, is there more violence, more use of other illicit drugs now that weed is legal? No, there isn't. Coke, heroin, all that shit's not going away. None of it is ever. Over a trillion dollars has been spent over the last four decades to win the drug war. And guess what? Hasn't been fucking won. Still a lot of drugs out there and so much violence. God knows how many people have died or been seriously injured during all that time because of drug-related violence. And now so many more people in prison. In 1980, the United States had 50,000 people behind bars for drug law violations. Now we have more than half a million. The U.S. is now the world's largest jailer. Drugs remain widely available and treatment resources are scarce. What the fuck are we doing? Throwing away so much money and so many lives for what? To give some politicians some good sound bites? To give some scared, silly suburban parents something to feel safer about? That all the bad guys and all the bad drugs are never going to affect their lives, even though that's bullshit? You know, the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world. The number of Americans incarcerated in 2014 in federal, state, and local prisons and jails with 2,224,400 people, or one in every 111 adults. In 2015, there were 1,488,707 arrests made for drug law violations. 1,249,25% were for possession only. 643,121 arrests for marijuana law violations. 574,641 arrests were made for marijuana possession. Why are all these people in jail? Why are taxpayers paying an average of $30,000 per inmate per year to keep these people in jail? More than $51 billion spent annually on the war on drugs. What else could we do with $51 billion a year? I don't know. Maybe get some better fucking education? Provide people with better econ- economic options so they don't feel like they need to use drugs? I don't know. Looking at all these stats, man, it kind of makes me think maybe Ross was on to something. Maybe the Silk Road experiment did have a few noble aspects. You know, what if we could reduce the potential income of street gangs all across America by taking their business away, putting it online? Why waste so much money pretending to protect society from something we can't protect it from? Maybe it wasn't so taboo, it would have less appeal. You know, it's an interesting argument, you know. While we saw in Ross's case specifically that the Silk Road doesn't necessarily prevent violence— it is not even close to the largest contributor of violence in this whole episode. You know, what truly makes the Silk Road a morally unacceptable marketplace. From beginning to end, all transactions are voluntary. The customer of their own accord buys drugs. Nothing up to this point is morally unacceptable. Illegal? Yes. Unethical? No. The vendor of the drugs receives the order and packages the drugs for shipment. Presumably, uh, the drugs are harvested or created either by the vendor or somebody the vendor had paid in exchange for the product. All of this is voluntary, and so nothing up to this point now is, is unethical. Then the package of drugs is shipped to the customer. 
or an arrangement arrangement is reached to somehow get the goods into the hand of the person who paid for it. The only unacceptable moral action up to now is the inevitable attempted intervention of law enforcement who will attempt to intercept and confiscate, kind of steal the goods. You know, law enforcement in a way now has committed theft. If you look at it libertarian, uh, you know, through that lens, an involuntary action has now entered the picture. In addition to this, the price of the drugs initially is higher to compensate for the low, uh, for the risk of law enforcement intervention, which indirectly harms both the buyer and the seller. However, let's assume the police did not intercept this package of, let's say, marijuana. Perfect. The buyer will most likely consume these drugs or sell them to other consenting individuals, neither of which is morally unacceptable. Everyone has a right to do with their body what they wish. And for all these people who claim that that's unacceptable because that means a higher insurance bill for the rest of us, ah, come on, get the fuck out of here. I would ask them whether that's the problem with drug usage or the way the health insurance industry is ran, right? After the drugs are consumed and sold, the transaction is complete, and the only morally unacceptable action is the whole thing that comes at the hands of the supposed good guys, who in their war on drugs have consumed more resources than almost any other enterprise in U.S. history, all in an attempt to stop consenting adults from doing to their bodies what they wish. In addition to this, countless uh, money, uh, houses, boats, cars, tools, just about everything else in the sun has been confiscated uh, from people who have not harmed anyone merely because they were alleged to be connected to the drug trade. Was the, was the whole war created to justify a massive police state? That's kind of what's happened. And, and if you're thinking, well, how does the Silk Road prevent kids uh, from getting a hold of drugs? Yeah, what about the kid angle? You know, it doesn't. But drug dealers also sell <laughs> fucking drugs to kids. They're already not being protected. And if the Silk Road uh, was legalized, you could regulate it much more effectively than you could as far as uh, out on the streets. You could require someone to show their ID to the package delivery, uh, uh, to the person who's receiving the delivery uh, when the drugs show up at the, at the house or business. You know, I don't know, man, this, this episode really has made me question what the fuck we're doing as a nation as far as uh, utilization of our police force, prison system, and war on drugs. And forget about drugs and illegal activity uh, on the dark web for a moment. What about the right just to online privacy? Alex Winter advocates on behalf of the dark web because he thinks corporations have too much access to us already. They know our spending habits, what sites we visit, etc. Why should they be allowed to know everything? Why should they be allowed to track and record our every online move as we move deeper and deeper into the digital age? Why should, uh, why should we be forced to live in some virtual version of George Orwell's 1984 where Big Brother and the fucking Thought Police are always watching? They're always listening. Shouldn't there be a place we can visit where nothing we do is tracked? You know, we have the right to privacy at home for now. Shouldn't we be allowed to have privacy on the web in our virtual home? Well, the government advocates for more control of the web to provide better security, but does less privacy on the web equate to more security? Alex Winter would say no, it doesn't. Think about how hacker groups like Anonymous infiltrate uh, you know, secure corporate service all the time. Think about like WikiLeaks and all that. If they know what the regulations are, they know how to break through them. However, however, there, if there's an unregulated area of the Wild West, harder for hackers to figure out to breach it. All right. So that's all I got. That's all I got for my argument. Now, let's hit the highlights and learn one thing new with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, you can buy so much drugs. On the dark web. Holy shit, can you buy a lot of drugs? So if lots of drugs are your thing and you didn't know about the dark web before, well, you're welcome. Number two, at any given moment, approximately 750,000 child predators are online. So make sure you know what your kids are up to online and for what it's worth, although the law won't agree, uh, if you find and kill one of these predators, I don't think you're a murderer. I think you're an exterminator. Number three, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves uh, put together one hell of a documentary about all this called the deep web. Uh, if you want to watch it, never thought I would end up thanking Bill and Ted uh, for intellectual research. But, you know, whoa, excellent. Number four, uh, Ross Ulbricht, a.k.a. the Dread Pirate Roberts, will never uh, likely be a free man again for creating the Silk Road. And yet every year, murderers, rapists, and pedophiles are released back into society. 
and the Silk Road reopened several times after all that fucking money spent on all that the whole court, court case, all that energy to brought it down. They're just a new Dread Pirate Roberts popped up and hundreds of new drug marketplaces. So what did the government really accomplish? What the fuck are we doing as a society? And number five, some new info. Anything you can imagine exists on the dark web, according to legend on the real web. Now, I didn't research this firsthand because I didn't want to go to jail. Uh, but apparently, in addition to the horrific shit I've already described, uh, there are also sites dedicated to necrophilia, <sighs> uh, complete with pictures and videos, of course, uh, human experimentation, which is as awful as it sounds, and even sites dedicated uh, specifically to cooking and eating women. Recipes and everything. <laughs> So if you're thinking about downloading Tor and doing some exploring yourself, uh, be careful and have fun sleeping tonight after all this shit I just told you. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Well, thanks, suckheads, for listening. Uh, and if you're enjoying the suck, please follow it on social media at uh, Time Suck Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, backslash Time Suck Podcast on Facebook. And uh, check out that second generation unicorn scrotum tea. Uh, if you're in the L.A. area. Um, I will uh, be just north of Los Angeles at Levity Live in Oxnard, California, May 26, 27, 28. And I'll be in Orlando, Florida uh, at the Improv, June 8th through 11th. Come say hi. That includes all you BDM, Mediocre uh, mediocre Time podcast listeners, of course. Um, And uh, big thanks to – you can actually hear the material this time, those BDMs. Uh, (laughs) Big thanks to Jordan Kasuzic for his help on this one. And additional thanks to uh, Time Sucker and cybersecurity agent Daniel as well. And next week – uh, this next Monday, Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer's getting sucked. Uh, the Milwaukee cannibal. Oh my God. I already started my research, uh, on that one. That's this guy killed 17 people and, uh, so much creepy shit. Uh, sex zombies. He was trying to make those and, uh, just the weirdest, the weirdest stuff. Um, midway through his killing spree, um, he was, he was sent to jail for, for a sex crime. And, uh, and he had a work release situation. This is the kind of serial killer we're going to be talking next week. He had, a, he had a work release. He was able to go to this. He actually worked at a fucking chocolate uh, place, like a fucking candy manufacturing place. And he had a work locker there. And uh, right before he went to jail, he killed this dude. And he liked to um, keep the trophies. And he, he would keep the head and, uh, and the dick. I'm not kidding. And he uh, would try and preserve them in various methods. And so he could kind of visit uh, one of his kills uh, while at work, while he's actually in jail. You know, getting released during the day for a little work furlough. For like a year, uh, he had this head and dick in his work locker. That's the kind of guy. That is the kind of guy uh, we are going to be talking about. Jeffrey Dahmer, maybe the most uh, gruesome of the serial killers. Definitely towards the top. Just unbelievably deranged, but uh, morbidly captivating. So that's that. Uh, And until then, uh, have a great, great week. Uh, Stick to surfing the regular web. Uh, if you want to, you know, have less odds of going to jail and you keep on sucking.